Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another Southwest Virginia Fishing Report with Matt Riley. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Marvin. How are you? Well, I'm trying my best to come down with a cold, but I'm trying to fight it off. Yeah, well, you're lucky you're not here, because if I was trying to fight one off after today, I would be uh, in the the loser's corner for sure, because it's been cold as heck the last week and a half or so. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I always forget until I go home. Not only is it you know colder in central and southwest Virginia, but it's also windier than it is down here in the Carolinas. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, particularly uh, particularly on the river, that's, that's the windiest place you could be right now. Yeah, and so... You know, looking at weather, you know, all of us in the mid-Atlantic have gotten a pretty good pop of cold air and kind of depending on where you are over the weekend, you got either snow or a decent amount of rain. What did you see? Yeah, uh, we kind of got both um, and it really kind of, you know, where where we live here, you know, the elevations vary drastically. So it really depends on where you're at. I mean, some spots along the North Carolina border got you know, nine to 12 inches someplace, you know, like here in Abingdon, we got about two. Um, and some other places didn't hardly get any that are, you know, not that far away, but, uh, the high, the high elevation, the high country definitely got a decent amount. So as cold as it is, you know, water temps on the, on the new river have, have kind of plummeted. Um, we're supposed to get a warm up the end of this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and which will be good, but you know, what we end up seeing there too is when that snow starts to melt in the, in the watershed on those warm days, you know, that water, the snow melts still pretty dang cold and it ends up in the river. And so we'll see kind of a buffer of, uh, of cold water even after we get a warm up. And, uh, but hopefully after that, you know, we'll get back to like, you know, decently warm and, uh, temperate climate and, and the river will uh will not be freezing as as much as it has been the last week or so got it and so you know as we always say particularly when you and i talk you know the trout streams will recover pretty quickly but you know is have you got did you get enough water last weekend to kind of knock your musky fishing off a little bit uh yeah we did um and what uh what happens i actually have not seen the lower new since we got all that rain, which was like three days ago. Um, but you, what, what had been going on, um, cause you know, keep in mind the new river has a, uh, has Clayer Lake kind of right in the middle of it in Virginia and the lower new rarely gets dirty. Um, unless we have like a flooding type event where the upper river gets carries so much sediment into Clayer Lake that, it, uh, it pushes all the way through the lake, and that's about 20 miles. And then the dam um, at the head of the lower new will start to suck that dirty water out. When that happens, the lower new gets dirty and stays dirty for like a week or two just because it has to basically turn the whole lake over um, before it can get back to, uh, back to some clear water. And so it was still a little on the dingy side before we got all that rain, um, I would imagine probably with uh, with the river coming up again and them, you know, punching the flow up on the lower new that that's all kind of turned over and it'll be it'll be pretty clear, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, 
the upper new was a little dirty um, the last couple of days, but um, it, uh, it it should be good to go in the next week or so again. I mean, the flows are coming back into shape. They're not bad right now at all, um, but uh, water temps, again, have been pretty frigid. I mean, it's been like mid-30s um, uh, in the last week or so, which is, you know, it happens every year for the most part, but it's not usually this early um, in the year, at least since I've been paying attention to it. So uh, that's where we're at. And yeah, like you said, the chop streams are in great shape. We were out there today and uh, it's, it's pretty dang cold, but fish are still biting. So. Yeah, and I guess the the real takeaway is to remember that when the snow starts melting, that water is going to be colder than you think it should be based on how you feel standing out in the weather. So probably, right. Yeah. Right. So fish probably uh, a little bit slower and a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, just about. Um, that's it's all water temp oriented, and and uh, and yeah, particularly those musky. It seems like you know the colder that water gets, the the deeper they sink, you know, particularly in those winter holes where um, you get a tad bit of uh, like stratification where when, uh, you know, the uh, when it gets real cold and that surface level of water gets real cold, it'll sink to the bottom. Um, and uh, so you'll have you'll have fish, uh, you'll have fish glued to the bottom pretty much. And we see that electrofishing too sometimes. I mean, we've been out on days where, you know, musky fishing is hard and you think it shouldn't be hard with an electrofishing boat. But uh, we've been out days where we've had water temps in the low to mid 30s and, you know, you can't find a fish just because they're, uh, they, they can be in super deep water and it's just hard to pull them up. Yeah, got it. And, you know, we've uh, we got a question uh, from Bruce and he read your article that you wrote about streamer fishing on the South Holston. And he has a kind of a variation question on that. And he wanted to know if you could recommend gear and tactics when you're limited to wading. So, you know, where you'd probably be in lower, uh, clearer water. And he was giving examples of like the Pound or the Jackson or the Smith in Virginia. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... um to sort of summarize the whole, you know, tailwater streamer fishing deal, part of the reason why it's so um, effective and dependable is because a lot of the southeastern tailwaters have, you know, regular high water events in the form of um, dam discharge, um, which is, you know, how they generate power at the dams. And that high water is, you know, especially on the South Holston, you know, it'll go from 90 or cubic feet to 2,400 cubic feet when they turn the generators on. So it's fairly drastic. And so the result is sort of a disoriented food base and a, uh, a predatory population of trout that feels like they can sneak up on their food a lot better than they could at, uh, at low water. You know, they just feel a lot more comfortable. Um, to a certain extent, faster water forces a quicker decision on on their part, and so um, you know that wary, old wary smart fish. You know you have a little bit of a leg up on for that reason. On mountain streams or even smaller tailwaters that don't really have those sort of drastic high water events, um, 
the one thing that I would say, I mean, personally, um, I, I will stream or fish even, you know, even if we don't have high water, um, you just kind of have to approach it a little differently. But it's something that I almost reserve for, you know, the right conditions. You know, like, for example, the, our local um, trout stream here, one of them, the South Fork of the Holston, has a, uh, has a brown trout population. It's primarily rainbows, but there's certain conditions under which you just don't see that many brown trout, and that's generally lower, clearer water. And there are some conditions where you can see more of them come out, um, particularly if you are streamer fishing or fishing a bigger fly. And that's usually higher, dirtier water with, you know, darker skies where, you know, those fish feel more comfortable. And again, like they can sneak up on their food. So if you're fishing a smaller stream, that's sort of my, well, my, my first tip would be to fish a stream that has larger fish in it because you can't, uh, you can't pull a giant fish out of a, out of a stream that doesn't have giant fish in it. But tip number two would be to, you know, sort of watch, um, for those kinds of events, you know, these days, thankfully I wasn't around for it, but back in the day we didn't have, uh, USGS stream flow gauges and stuff like that. Now you can sit at home and just watch what your river's doing. Um, so when you see that kind of thing happen, that's, uh, you know, that should be sort of your cue to go. Um, with lower, clearer water, you know, pretty much across the board, um, it, it changes a little bit just because the fish generally have more time to look at your fly. Um, they're not quite as, uh, they're not quite as stirred up. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's like a coyote trying to catch a rabbit in the middle of the day. They, they don't have the advantage they do at night. So, um, generally if you got lower, clearer water, I would be fishing a little more, um, realistic type streamer pattern. Um, I would either be fishing a super realistic fly, you know, sort of in the fish's face. Like if you know where a particular fish lives, you know, sort of marinate that fly in front of them and, and really try to finesse them into eating it. Um, or, you know, you have to kind of try to manufacture the conditions that you have on a tailwater during a water release where they don't have much time to, to, uh, to make a decision on your offering and fish fairly quickly, you know, fast. The same reason that guys that fish spinning gear for trout with, uh, with jerk baits and spinners and stuff like that can catch fish in low water, um, you know, they're, they're moving their lure a lot faster than we generally can with flies. So if, uh, if you're faced with those kinds of conditions, um, I generally try to fish to fish to addresses. You know, if you know where there is a fish, slap your fly down and just sort of like be into your first strip by the time it hits the water and, and dance it and rip it away from that fish pretty quickly, trying to get them to react to it. Um, or, you know, you can, uh, you can just sort of stay on your feet and cover water really quickly and just look for that really aggressive player. Um, overall, unless you have like really cold water, um, if you're fishing some sort of bait fish imitation, you know, crayfish and sculpins and stuff like that are a little different. 
um, at least in my book. But if you're trying to imitate a dace or a shiner or baby trout or something like that, um, I would be trying to cover as much water as I possibly could, even on foot, you know, um, you just, you're just looking for a fish that's in the mindset to, to chase down and, and eat a bigger fly. Um, which again is like to go back to the article, what you're doing on a float trip, you know, sometimes in we float is tailwaters we're floating 15, 20 miles a day and you might not catch that many fish, um, numbers wise compared to, you know, what you might do with a nymph rig or something like that. But, um, you, you'll find the aggressive ones, and a lot of times those are the, the mature adult, you know, fish. Yeah, and kind of one follow-up question on that. In terms of fishing high water, do you prefer to fish it on the rise or on the drop? You know, that's a that's a funny question. I mean, I've, I've, I, uh, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of different things with regards to that, and I, I know on some fisheries one sort of trumps the other. But it kind of, in my mind, just comes down to what you can do because some, some, some tail, even tailwaters that, uh, that are controlled by dams, you don't have any kind of notice as to when the water's going to get cut on. So, you know, unless you're just sitting at home watching the gauge and you happen to see it pop up the first hour that it does, you know, how are you going to get there on the rise unless it's rising for, you know, a day or two? Um, but then again, like on a river like the South Holston or the Watauga or any of the East Tennessee tailwaters that are TVA, um, controlled, you, you do have a little bit of warning. So it's a little more possible. Um, and I haven't really seen, you know, from a float fishing on the bigger tailwaters perspective, I haven't seen a ton of difference, but, uh, I will say on the on the mountain streams, I tend to like the drop a little better, um, just because it, it it seems like you can you have a little bigger window to uh, to pick your condition. You know, you can go the river can come up two feet, and the next day it's a little bit lower and a little bit clearer, and then the next day it's a little bit lower and a little bit clearer, and you can kind of watch the progression and say, okay, you know, like for me, I know certain flows it fishes really well on foot at high water with streamers and so i can say like well today it's going to be a little tough to wade tomorrow probably too but the next day it should be perfect and you know generally um, by the time it gets down to that semi-weightable but still higher than average level you've got just a little bit of color left in it and so for the mountain streams i, I tend to favor the drop Got it. And, you know, folks, we love questions on the Articulate Fly. You can email them to us or send them to us on our Facebook or Instagram page. If we use your question, I'll send you some Articulate Fly swag and you'll get into a drawing for some cool stuff Matt's going to pull together. And, you know, that drawing will be here before you know it, Matt. Yeah, that's true. We keep saying the end of the season. And yeah. Uh, yeah. at least today at 8 a.m. on on the river, it felt like the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we'll be doing that in early January, folks. And, you know, we've got to keep the tradition alive. I know you're mad at yourself because you don't like the picture you have, but why don't you let us know the article you have <laughs> in the uh, coming out in the rural Virginian? I don't have a picture. That's why I haven't posted anything yet. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this week is a little, little different. Um, which I'm proud of myself for 
staying on my schedule and, and knowing what time of the month it is. But um, it's a, it's about sort of the tradition of hunting mistletoe as as sort of a Christmas thing and and sort of what the what the backstory on that whole deal is. You know, mistletoe's been a part of of human culture for a long time and has in a roundabout way sort of always been a symbol of of uh like unity and peace so uh just a little bit of insight into that holiday tradition and and uh maybe maybe a uh a bit of inspiration for somebody who's wanting to get in the woods and do something a little different well, there you go. And speaking of holiday traditions, I know you've got some uh, promotions going on for the holiday. You want to let folks know about those too? Oh shoot, yeah, we're <laughs> we're we're crawling with promotions, not necessarily on purpose, but they just all kind of popped up. Um, first one is um, we're actually raising our rates just a little bit for next year, um, and to give everybody who's you know fished with us before and and. Uh, you know, has, has sort of helped us, you know, supported us in business this far. Um, we're, we're just trying to give everybody a heads up that any trip booked before the end of the year do get the current 2020 rates, you know, no matter when the uh, trip is scheduled for. And then the second one is sort of a collaboration with the, you know, the rod company. Um, any of those trips booked between, basically December 1st and, and the end of the year gets entered into a drawing to win a uh, Chuck Craft Signature Series fly rod of your choice. Uh, we make them in five, six, seven, eight, and 10 weight. And uh, that's sort of like our, our workhorse rod, the rod that I use for almost everything except for like delicate dry fly work and stuff like that. You know, those are our smallmouth rods or musky rods or, um, you know, like trout nymphing rods and trout streamer fishing rods and, and all of that. So it's, uh, definitely my favorite. And, um, hopefully whoever wins it, uh, will, uh, kind of hoping it's somebody who hasn't, uh, hasn't fished with me before and hasn't, uh, hasn't used one. So they get to kind of get turned on to it. So we'll see what happens, but that's what we're running right now. And then also, I should throw in um, on the rod company side, um, if any purchase of $300 or more from the rod company website um, enters you into another drawing for a guide trip from any of the, uh, the Riley Rodcrafters pros. So we've got Jason Shepard, Shep out in Florida, who does, you know, redfish and tarpon. We've got Debbie Hansen and Joe Mahler down in Southwest Florida, who are mainly freshwater fishing guides for largemouth bass and peacock bass, and uh, some of the exotics they've got down there. And then you've got Ellie Rhodes, who's a smallmouth guide out of Scottsville, Virginia, on the James River, and then me. So, um, and all of those things are not limited to the one entry too. So, if you book twenty trips, you get twenty entries. <laughs> so. Uh, all that, all that's exciting stuff. Kind of a little confusing, maybe, but uh, if you're interested, just reach out and, and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, so people can get in on that action. Why don't you let folks know where they can find you and either um, you know book a trip or buy a rod? Yeah, so uh, the rod company website, if people don't know, is, is just rileyrods.com. 
Um, and then my personal uh, guiding business website is mattreillyfishing.com and all of my uh, contact info is on there. So feel free to reach out and I look forward to hearing from you. Well, there you go. And you know, folks, this is our last Southwest Virginia Fishing Report of 2020. So, you know, the next time we'll talk to you, it'll be in the new year. So I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, Matt. Yeah, man. Merry Christmas, Marvin.